0: You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. So open up your Bibles and turn to John chapter four. Last week, we looked at the first part of this chapter where Jesus had an interaction with the woman at the well, um, where he broke all kinds of social boundaries and um, social lines to speak into the life of a woman who was untouchable by culture standards. Jesus was a man, she was a woman. He is a Jew, she was a Samaritan, considered unclean. He is single, she is an adulterous woman living with someone that is not her husband and he completely just shifts her world in helping her realize that there is more to life than the water that she's going to get at the well but also more to life than the... Um, refreshing and the nourishment that she is seeking from all of these relationships that she's having, and at the very end of the conversation, she says, "I know the Messiah, the Christ is coming, and He will make all things clear." And Jesus reveals Himself to her and says, "I am the Messiah," and her her life is altered in that moment, guys. She leaves where she's at and goes into town, and so we're going to pick up here in verse. 27, John chapter 4, and it says, uh, in verse 26, Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. In verse 27, it says, just then the disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, hey boss, what do you, what do you want with her? Why are you talking with her? So even in their thoughts and in their minds, they are replaying the culture standards and these barriers that Jesus is breaking. And then it says in verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. And the disciples were like, did did someone bring him food while we were gone? Did he get a, like, door dash? What happened? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained. He said, listen, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me From who sent me and from finishing his work. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying that there's four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought into eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. Continuing on verse seven, and you know the saying, one plants, another harvest. And it is true, I sent you though to harvest where you did not plant. Others had already done the work and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus. Listen to this, because of what the woman had said. He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed two more days, two days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves and now we know that he is indeed, what? The savior of the world. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, I just come to you this morning. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and I thank you for your word. God, I pray that the weight would lay on us, not of condemnation, but of conviction that we would carry the mantle that you've called us to carry as um, your followers, but also as your church, as your body, as your hands and feet. And so God, reveal yourself in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's some things that I wanna point out in these passages that apply to really any of us who call ourselves Christians, to any of us that want to pursue the mission that God has for us. The mission of the church, and when I say the church, I don't mean the organization. The mission of those of the ecclesia, the called out, is not just to get saved and to stay safe. And, And we have a responsibility that once we have accepted Christ as our savior, that we have a right, a responsibility, and a privilege to multiply what has taken place in us in the lives of others. And we see this happen immediately. And so many times we have this false um, preconceived notion that we have to have training we have to have years in action. We have to have all this experience before we can begin to do the work that we're called to do. This woman is living in sin, has been living a sinful lifestyle, and she encounters Jesus. And in a moment, her, her, her destiny changes, her purpose changes, her perspective changes, and she leaves everything that she had intended for the day at the well and goes into the city. Here's what you and I need. Like, we need a restoration. We, we need a restoration of excitement for Jesus in our life. We need a restoration of excitement for Jesus in our life. I think many of us, myself included, we get too far removed and too much life happens from the moment we encounter Jesus at our well to where we are now. And the excitement that we felt, that we experienced. We are not ruled by emotions but we should be ruled by passion and excitement. And it was the excitement of who she had just met that caused her to leave the things there at the well to go back into the city. And I I want us to think of really what's taking place and understand the weight of the decision that this woman has made. In her shame and guilt, she walks out of the village alone, Not wanting to be seen by anyone. Because we said last week, you don't go to get water at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. You go at 9 o'clock in the morning, early in the morning when everyone else is going. It's a social affair. But she's going alone. She encounters Jesus. Is enthusiastic about what has just taken place. And now she is running back into the village excited that she just walked out of ashamed. She left the village that that afternoon ashamed of who she was, quiet, secretly, not wanting to be noticed. Look at what the excitement has done. It has changed her desire. It has changed her direction. And now she is running back into the very village, shouting, proclaiming who she has just met, the village that she walked out of quietly, not wanting to be seen. Because when we have an excitement for Jesus, it changes our desires and it changes our direction. And it's not just the excitement that drove her. That's one thing. It's not just the excitement that drove her. But it's also her excitement that sparks the drive of the people out of the village to see Jesus. A woman's testimony was not very valid in this, in this time. A woman's testimony, her word, didn't really carry a lot of weight in this time if she was married, unless her husband was around. But even more so, a woman of this character, how much weight do you think her testimony would have? Probably not very much. They're probably gonna think, oh, it's just that woman. Who's gonna listen to her? but there was something about the excitement that was in her voice, something about the excitement that was in her tone that caught the attention of the very people that she was hiding from. That excitement and enthusiasm was contagious. It caused them to be curious, and they went to go see the man that she was talking about. Church, let me ask us this question. Where is our excitement for what Jesus has done in our lives? And in this church. And I get life happens. I get there was responsibility. Um, I tell people all the time as a dad and as a husband and as a pastor, but really more so as a dad. Like I don't remember my parents looking as tired as I feel sometimes. (laughs) Right? Like Like I think back, I was like they just seemed like they could do everything. And I'm trying to do everything, but I feel so tired And we look for these, what's the word? We 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 look for these moments of escape, if I can use that term. We look for these moments of escape to recharge our batteries, whether it's a Netflix binge, whether it is a vacation, whether it's sleeping in, whether it's a you know a gluttonous meal, whatever drug that it is that we use to recharge us, to refresh us. When it should be Jesus, when it should be Jesus remembering what he's done in our life, seeing what he's done in other people's life, let that excitement build on the inside of us and it is contagious. I really believe, guys, that if the world, and like I said this last week, Jesus says if you only knew the gift that God has, if we only knew the gift that was on the inside of us, our excitement level would be a little bit different when it comes to the things of the kingdom. And I read this quote by John Charles Wesley, who was John Wesley's brother, and they were the founders of, of the Methodist movement in the 1700s. And he said this, catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come for miles to watch you burn. And we look at what happened in, in Kentucky when these college students really caught on fire with enthusiasm. What happened? People literally flew for miles thousands of miles not to just watch them burn but to watch passion burn within them a passion for their savior burn within them that started with a small spark there's gonna be times where where ministry gets hard both on a personal level and on a corporate level within the church But guys, if you and I, as his sons and daughters, if we can walk with an excitement remembering what he's done in our life and we go into our villages, our workplaces, that that enthusiasm is contagious because it's not false. It's not based on who we are, but it's based on who Jesus is and what he has done. And so we see this happen. With the woman, but then it but then it cuts to a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, and there's this conversation about really the work of the ministry, and and you and I, whether you're on an A team, whether you're a part of a church, whether you consider like you have a ministry work that you are responsible for, and we we miss that, and so Jesus begins to talk about this work. And so what we have to have, Avenue Church, we have to have an understanding of the work that is before us. We have to understand what that is, and and they're trying to get him to eat. They just went, Jesus is tired, and I I think, yes, he was tired, but I also think he knew about the appointment that he was going to have. And so they bring his lunch back and, and trying to get him to eat, and he makes this statement, I have food you know nothing about. I have food that you know nothing about, and and I'm seeing this from two perspectives. One, they don't realize that he has just been nourished by the conversation that he had with the woman at the well. Two, so they don't realize that, but two, they also don't realize that that same nourishment is available to them. Does that make sense? It's like, I have this, and you know nothing about it. And if you think about the conversation that the woman had with Jesus, it's a very similar conversation. She's saying, I want something to drink. And he says, I have water that you know nothing about that could quench your thirst for all of eternity. And she says, please give me this water so I don't have to come back to this well again. And the disciples aren't quite getting it. They're like, what, did somebody bring him some food we don't know about? They're not saying, we want that nourishment too. That's not what they're saying, because in their mind, they had a schedule and things that they were going to do. They were leaving one city, going to another, and they're just trying to get through Samaria. I couldn't say that last week. And so they're thinking, did somebody bring him some food? with well, him? we just need to go. And he says, look, no, I have nourishment from food that you know nothing about. And he says, my nourishment comes from doing the work of the father who sent me. And I got to thinking even about that, like, like Jesus is, isn't just saying, like, like, I'm doing my assignment. He's saying, no, someone else greater than me has sent me, and I'm fulfilling that work, and fulfilling that work is what nourishes me. He says, this is what drives me. This is what gets me going. This is what I'm passionate about, is doing the work that God has sent me to do. Jesus just isn't there on his own agenda. He's got a greater one. The church has a greater agenda other than just gathering. I think the pandemic, when it shut church down, in some senses, it brought a great level of clarity. That we missed gathering, we missed community. But now that we've started back gathering, and I'm saying church as a whole, we are focused more on gathering than on going, and on serving, and in sharing. We're not called just to gather, we're called to gather and to go. We're called to gather and to go. Um, He's saying understand the work. Jesus understood the work was greater than, than, than what the disciples, the work of a church. We are to plant seeds of the gospel to those that are not in relationship with him. We are to plant the word of God for those of us who are followers of Jesus and so that we can grow in um, likeness of him. Um, we have responsibility to water the seed. Paul says this in Corinthians. He says that, that one person plants, one person waters, but guess what? God brings the increase. Is that as a church, we have responsibilities to plant seeds, to water seeds that we didn't plant. And then there will come a time where we will harvest seeds that we planted, but also seeds that other people didn't plant. But as a new church plant, guess what one of our primary responsibilities is being? Planting. Planting. Right, And the planting is not the fun part. The planting is when you go into a, a, a new field and you're having to soften up the ground that has been hardened. And you're doing the work of planting the seed. And, and a lot of times we want instant results. Like I remember planting seeds with my kids when they were younger and they go out every day to wait for the little green shoot to poke its head through the ground, right? And they go out the next day, the next day, and finally they start seeing a little bit of growth. But then it's still, again, several weeks later before there's flowers, before there's fruits. Guys, the life of a believer is just like that and at times even longer. And there, there are those of us in this room that we had the seeds of the gospel planted in our lives at a very early age, maybe like Sunday school back in the day. You remember those days, right? Sunday school and vacation Bible school and through the years of youth group and college ministry and just life, other people watered and now you're starting to see a harvest and we are in the season of planting and watering and we have to understand the work that God has for us. But then the hard part comes. We have to have a commitment to the work. We have to have a commitment to the work. It says there's four months between planting and harvesting. Jesus says, makes this statement. As the people are, are streaming out of the village, so they're coming out, and then Jesus makes this shift of conversation, and he says, but I say, wake up and look around. The harvest is ripe it says, wake up. And, I, and, and I'm kind of thinking about Jesus in this ministry and the disciples were walking with him and there was probably some excitement. Anytime you start a new thing, it's really, really excited. And those of us who, who wrestle with a little bit of ADHD and, and we get really excited to start a new thing, but it's leaning in to finish the one thing gets hard, Right? But it's not until we finish the one thing that we get to celebrate the success and the fruit that comes from that. And so for the disciples, there's probably a little bit of like, all right, let's, we've been doing this a while, can we just get to the next thing? And Jesus is saying, no, look, there's a harvest right here. You have to wake up or you're going to miss it. We have to stay committed to where we're at right now. Um, schedules get busy commitment to the work of the church and the relationships honestly like i'm I'm speaking to those of us who who um attend who are committed that some like there are times where life gets uber busy i'm not discounting that but i also know if we're not careful our responsibilities and relationships within the church can be some of the first to go well, how do you know, Pastor? I've been, I've been doing this 23 years now, and I've seen it time and time again. When things get hard in life, instead of leaning into the community of the church, people lean out and they back out. And when you find yourself in isolation, that's when the enemy loves to attack. And that's where we need to to lean in and stay committed to the work of sharing the gospel of evangelism, but also lean in and stay committed to the ministry that is within the church of caring for each other and ministering to those that come because because eventually... There will be a reward for the work when we understand the work and we're committed to the work. There will be a reward for it. There will be a reward in it. And, you know, um, we have this mentality at times like, what's in it for me? Six years ago, Dave Ramsey put out this, this neat curriculum for your kids to help them do their chores And that you set all these different chores on a pay scale. So if they put away the dishes, that's 50 cents. If they make their beds, that's 75 cents. And so in an effort to instill passion and enthusiasm and excitement into my children to do the things that they were responsible for doing, we assigned a monetary value to each of these chores, And it worked great for about three days until I asked them to do something that was not on the list with a monetary value. And then I would ask them to do something, and then they would ask me a question. How much are you going to pay me, Dad? I watered that list up with all the monetary values, and we threw it away. Because when you are a part of a family... There are things that you do because it is a part of the responsibility of taking care of the family. And it's not without reward, but sometimes the reward comes in ways that we don't realize or expect. And that's really at times the greatest reward. And, and we live in an acquisitional society where it's that, like, I do something for you, you do something for me. And Jesus says this. He says, listen, in verse 36, he says, the harvesters are paid good wages, When we get to the harvest season, harvesters are paid good wages. And this is what the wages are within within God's kingdom. What they harvest, the fruit that they harvest, is people brought to eternal life. That doesn't have a lot of value when we think about strangers walking through our door. Because we don't know them. But the value carries much greater weight when it's those that we love, when it's our family, when it's our friends, when it's our neighbors, when it's our coworkers, when we see seeds that have been planted in their life by people in the past and you've had an opportunity to water it. And whether it's through the doors of Avenue Church or whether it's through the doors of one of the other incredible churches, when their life crosses over from death to life, that is our payment. And we have a hard time accepting that as payment because it's not monetary, it's not material, it's not instantaneous. Chris talked about three weeks ago that we're to store up our treasures in heaven where rust doesn't destroy, thieves don't steal, and moths don't destroy. When a soul crosses from death into life, stored in heaven for all eternity, nothing can take that away. That is a payment that the stock market can affect in your world, right? But we can have an understanding, and I love the verse in Matthew where Jesus is talking with the disciples, and he turns and he looks at the crowds, and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd, lost and confused. If we can see people through the eyes that Jesus sees people with, our excitement for what he does in their life could grow exponentially, exponentially and imagine the impact that it would have on those that we're closest to, to get them in, not, when I say the doors of the church, it's not a building, but through the doors into a community that is considered his body, where they can connect and they can grow and they can have life. And there is a reward in that. But there's also joy. Like there's a reward that's expected, that's promised. The reward for us is lives Saved, But then there's also a joy, which I think we get to experience here. And one of the greatest joys is hearing stories of life change and how Avenue Church has impacted people for the good. We get emails and text messages where you guys, whether you're on an A-team or not, you have played a role in making people feel welcome making people feel seen. And what that does, that is a part of the work to remove any anxiety, any, um, anything that would block them from experiencing God's presence. Text messages from Dad saying, thank you for creating a space where my family can be fed spiritually. Text messages and emails from Mom saying, I finally feel like I can go to church again and not be ashamed. Google reviews from people who visit and say, I've been looking for a church and I haven't found one and I lost my son last October right after I moved to Murfreesboro and just the presence of God and the the, the warmth of the people really helped me believe again. There's joy in that. And even for me as your pastor, yes, like getting to experience that on a personal level when my wife and I were out two weekends ago and like, and I may share this second service, but she'll be in here to know that my 17-year-old came to the 9 a.m. when mom and dad's out of town to hear one of her mentors speak, but then to stay for the 11 o'clock service because her friends are gonna be here. Guys, I don't know that I would've went to two services as a 17-year-old, right? And so what that helped me know is like, this just isn't her mom and dad's church. This is her church. And that's what I want for people to walk in is I don't want them like, like after you're here for a little while, I don't want you to say your church. I want you to say my church. Not the building, but the community that you're a part of. That's the joy that we get to experience now. This is when we see that the work that we are doing matters. For those of us that are on A-teams, you're kind of on the fringe, this is where we see that the work that we're doing matters and the part that we play is important. But the part that we play is not near as important as what we're a part of. That what we're a part of is way bigger than the part that we play, whether it's greeting at the door, whether it's serving coffee, whether it's in nursery kids set up, take down, what we get to be a part of. And guys, I'm not just saying Avenue Church. I'm saying we are building the kingdom. We are not building a castle for Avenue. We are building God's kingdom. And when we understand this commitment and understand the work, what we see take place is available, that there is a revival that takes place in the work. There is revival that takes place. As the people came out of the village to see Jesus because of the excitement of this woman, that her life had been transformed. And they asked him to stay two more days. A revival broke out. Says, and, and then they said this to the woman. They said this to the woman. Now we believe not just because of what you told us, But because we have heard him for ourselves, now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. And and, and here's what I believe can happen, that people will come through the doors of a church. For us, it's Avenue Church. And they will see Jesus based off what we present to them in worship, in hospitality, in teachings. They will experience Jesus at that. And they will believe because of something they've seen, heard, or experienced here. But even on a greater level, when revival happens, when they go out and they see and experience Jesus for themselves. And if you look at how the statements change, the woman says, I know that that the Messiah is coming. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. So in in, in her mind, Jesus is there to save her people because that's what the Jews thought. The Messiah was just coming to free and to save their people. But then the Samaritans have encountered Jesus, those that are disconnected from God's people because salvation in their mind is just coming for the Jews. But now they're saying, no, he's not just the Messiah for the Jews, but he is the what? Savior of the world. They even understand that he just didn't come to save the Jews. He came to save everyone. That's where when we have an understanding and an excitement and remembrance what God has done for us, and they see that in us, then Jesus moves outside of the church. And he didn't just come to save church people, but he came to save all people. And those that are outside, we have to work at breaking down those walls. Revival starts personally within you and I, and then it happens within the church, and then it flows out into the community. And I believe um, that there is a shifting taking place. And I don't think it's just an avenue church, but I think there is a shifting taking place in, in the spiritual. I think there, and, and I'm not the guy, okay, for the next couple of moments, like I, I want you to lean in, I want you to listen to my heart as a pastor. I rarely do this, but, but I feel like there are some things shifting and happening within spiritually that we need to be aware of and we need to lean into and take a hold of and put the work in. Um, and I'm not the guy to get all excited. I'm not gonna cast a new vision every six months and then forget about it. Most of the time, if I'm feeling some excitement, or I've, I, I'm, I'm gonna keep it quiet because I'm a feeler. Anyone else a feeler? Like, I feel everything big. Like, I cry at, like, Sprite commercials. I, like, we were watching Toy Story 4 last night, and, you know, at the end, when when Woody and, and, and Bo Peep go off, and I'm just like... Luckily, my family didn't see me because I was in the floor, just kind of tears streaming down. I, so I feel big, but I've been feeling this long enough that I feel like something needs to be said so we can understand what's, what's ahead of us. Um, we have to have an understanding, church, of the work that we have and what God's called us to, what he's called you to as a part of this church or a part of any church. We have to have an understanding that what he's called us to is bigger than what we do and then we have to lean into the commitment of, of, of what that is and I don't want to miss an opportunity because we fail to understand and we fail to commit and at a 9 a.m one of my overseers texted me this during worship he didn't know what I was preaching on today but he said this is the word of the Lord for you and he says this is from Isaiah 4 3 behold I'm doing a new thing it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. he's doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing. And I want us to get a hold of what this new thing is. Last year, we grew by 27%, which doesn't seem like a lot. But by most um, standards, anything over 13 to 15% is chaos. And so, so we were beyond chaos, <laughs> okay? And luckily we're small and I've got an incredible team and so we managed the chaos well. Would you guys agree to that? Like you didn't know. Um, this year we're already growing like 10 to 15%. Um, and so we are on the verge of a second year of chaos, <laughs> right? And, and so we're managing chaos and I have this mix of anticipation um, and excitement about what God is doing. Um, but then I'll also have this anxiousness about what we need to be doing. And I've had some folks that have visited and some folks that have recently um, committed in joining the church that, that we are at a tipping point. And some of you may have been feeling this, like we are at a tipping point and a good thing that we are at a season, like one person said, like, I feel like things are about to blow up, but in a good way, I was like, all right, make sure let's, let's, let's clarify that like things are about to blow up and, and we need to be ready. And part of me was like, ah, yeah, but there has been a stirring on the inside of me for the last several months that there is some truth to that coming, um, and and Jesus said this to the disciples, and I'm gonna say this to us who call Avenue home. He said, wake up. See that the harvest is ripe, that it's already here. Avenue, we are in a season to where we have to wake up. That God is sending people. People that 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 are moving here. We had a couple last week's day. They were visiting from Wisconsin. They're moving here in the summer. They drove down on Saturday visited avenue on sunday they stayed until the trailer was closed on sunday and they were just visiting sometimes i can't get like our own people to stay that long but anyways (laughs) i digress (laughs) okay um they stayed until the trailer was closed looked at apartments on monday drove back on tuesday when i texted them this week they can't wait to get back to here now i told them, i said visit other churches i don't want you to like buy the first thing that you see right But we would love to have you here. And we keep hearing this over and over. Um, And it says that revival broke out and Jesus stayed for another two days. And Asbury revival lasted about 20 days. And I wonder how we would respond if we had that opportunity. That if revival broke out and we had to add a third service. Would we be prepared? Would we, would we be excited about it? Or would we be, oh man, we gotta add a third service. I'll just let that sit. No shame, because I've had to wrestle with this in me. I was like, preaching three times, I'm exhausted after two, right? <laughs> three times, but lives are being changed. Our payment is, 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 is being given and lives being changed, crossing from death into life. And let me just speak to my, to, to my A-teams. Like, we've had some, some shifting behind the scenes. Like I said, we're having controlled chaos. We've had babies born. We've had people move. We've had life change. And, and we are, I don't want to say holding um, things together, but in some senses, we are. And Easter's coming. And things are going to blow up, but in a good way. And if you're a part of our A-team and and it's it's hard for you to serve one or two Sundays a month, I'm going to probably ask you in the future, man, can you give me three? Because the harvest is ready. If you're serving once, we're like, hey, can you, can you, and look, I know like life gets crazy busy. And I've got A-team members that some of them are serving every single Sunday this month. But then I also have some that aren't. But then I also have some folks that... Um, You've been attending Avenue Church for six to seven months, maybe even a year, and it's time for you to get out your seat. The blow pops in your seat for after service, okay, in case you need something sweet (laughs) for afterwards. But guys, there is a work that we have to lean into because there are people that need what you've experienced at your well. And so I look at sowing seeds. You know when some of the greatest opportunities sow seeds happen? In the life of a child. My wife and I spent a few years in children's ministry. Um, it's exciting, it's tiresome, but it's also so sweet. And there are some individuals that helped us plant this church because we planted seeds when we were their children's pastors. And we're harvesting because of that. Because they've not, like, their soil hasn't been tainted by culture yet. There's still some innocence there that, that we get to sow into and our can we just give our A team kids our kids team a hand they work tirelessly and that is the one ministry that that you're not in church if you're a greeter guess what when you're done greeting you get to come into worship when you're ushering when you're done ushering you get to actually our ushers are in worship Connection Center you get to come in but our kids team they are locked away with your kids the kids of parents who their marriage may be on the rocks and they get a break to experience the presence of God while their kids are being ministered to one of our values is we want to invest in the next generation and we need help doing that just I'm just going to, like, my overseer said, just, just tell them the truth. Like, our, our kids' teams, like, we need some help on our kids' team. In June, my wife's going to be out for a couple of Sundays, and our A-team elementary coordinator is going to be having a baby. And so there is a small chance that we might have to close our elementary kids' ministry for a couple of Sundays. I don't want to do that. You know why? We're a next-gen church. We believe in the next-gen. We're gonna sow into the next-gen. And so if you're here and you're not serving in next-gen, guess what I would love for you to do? Serve in next-gen. We do really good, Jolie, right, as trying to make sure that we don't, because I've been in kids' ministry where you get locked away and forgotten about. And then you show up like two months later and and it's like you're a guest in church. (laughs) It's like, so glad to have you here. We do our best not to do that. We've got A-team members that get here every single Sunday at 6 a.m. to make sure everything is set up so that when people walk through this door for the first time, there are no distractions. They don't have to worry about where to go. We have got, like, they don't have to worry about what's happening. We have greeters, we have coffee, we have everything that we need so that all the distractions can be removed so the gospel can be heard. Because you've been at a place where you, go into a church uncertain of what's going to happen, how people are going to respond. And when we can respond with them with complete warmth and friendliness, it breaks all of that down. And so what's, what's our response going to be? Um, To be honest, we are close to there. If we have, if we grow by another 50 to 60 people, we will be on the brink of having to add a third service. I was like, "Where's everybody at today, guys? It's spring break, okay, <laughs> right?" And what's crazy is last Sunday like 9 a.m., this room was full. Everyone's sleeping and going to be here at the tw- at the 11 a.m. right. But if we add 50 to 60 new people, we're going to be pushing a third service. If everyone who calls Avenue Church home starts attending regularly, guess what? We'll have to add a third service. Are we going to be prepared to do that? So I need you to help us prepare to add a third service. Maybe not like my my A-team's like, what, absolutely. Not until we're ready. Or God opens the door of that next location for us. Not just so that we can say we have a building or a new location, but so that we can reach more people. So that we can minister in new ways. And so looking, talking with my wife, just, just looking at this, there's 720 hours in a month. That's on a 30-day month, 720 hours. Now, let's, let's say we get a good 8 hours sleep a night, right? It's like, I wish, right? Eight hours, I'm doing good if I get six. But let's say we sleep eight hours. Then we have 360 waking hours. Let's throw work in there, 45 hours a week, right? Maybe some of us work 50. We're looking at about 180 hours of work a week, and then 180 hours for other things, if we served every service, if we served every service, if my A-team served every service, that's eight hours a month, roughly. Eight hours out of 180, um, that's 2%. 2% of our hours in a month, waking hours. I think we can give that. I think we can give that when we see lives changed, transferred from death to life. Right? I read this quote, and I'm going to... I want to ask the piano guy to come. Let's lighten the mood, <laughs> right? <laughs> I read this quote last night. And this is what I, because we are on, and I think one of the reasons, guys, is, is we are kind of at this place of 150 to 200 to where church can get real comfortable for those of us that are here. We know everybody. We know what's happening. We get our routines. And it, and, and, and it can be real easy to put our elbows out and not let anyone else at the table, We don't mean it, we let them in the house because it's welcoming, but we put our elbows out and we don't let them at the table because then that causes some uncomfortableness for us. I read this quote, it says, when a church no longer pushes outward with the gospel and service, the people no longer look upward to the glory of God. And let's think about churches that that we see plateaued or in decline. They become inward focus, not outward focus. That when the church no longer pushes outward with the gospel and service, the people no longer look upward to the glory of God because then we're doing it all on our strength. When we're not doing that, when we start pushing out with serving and evangelism, then we're knowing, like, I can't do all this on my own. God, you're going to have to come in with me. And it says, a church lacking both an outward and upward perspective will inevitably move in the other two directions inward and downward that as an individual, we start looking inward at ourselves. As a church, we start looking inward to ourselves and we plateau or, or we even decline. And I'm not, I'm not saying we do that, but sometimes it's like, well, I don't wanna go to three services until we're at a bigger building. Well, what if moving to a third service in the future opens up space for that one that you love to get in the building? What if getting into a bigger location means that we have to start making some sacrifices financially to get there? And like, I don't want to sacrifice. But what if getting into that bigger location where we go to one service for a little while before we go to two services makes room for that lost loved one to get in the building, to get in the community, when when I say that, to get in the community of Christ to experience him so that it's not just the Messiah, but it's the Savior for them. Not just the savior for the church people, but the savior for their life. A church lacking both an outward and upward perspective will inevitably move in the other two directions: inward and downward. And I know in my life, just just personally, when I start focusing on me, that's when I find myself the saddest. When I have these seasons and moments where, like, ah, I just I need to I need to focus on mental health and self care. Those are true things. But if we stay there too long, we're only focusing on ourselves. That's where I start finding myself more depressed because my world gets really small. It's population one. But when we open our eyes to the harvest of what's around, there is a payment of lives changed and there is a joy of seeing and hearing and experiencing those lives changed. And so here's what I want us to do, Avenue Church. It's going into the season. I believe God's getting ready to do a new thing. I don't know if it's gonna be six weeks, six months. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the time frame is in that, but I know what I feel in my spirit. I know what I feel like underneath an excitement, anticipation, and expectation. But then there's also some like anxiousness, like, all right, we have to get things together. We have to wake up and be prepared when the harvest comes. So there's a blow pop in your seat. And the reason I want to put a sucker is because when you go to the doctor, They give you a sucker to make you feel better about your visit. But then I had a guest last week said, you need to make it a blow pop so that you're giving them something to chew on when they walk away. And so hopefully, it's like, you're a genius. You got to come back, right? It's like, so hopefully I've given you something to chew on spiritually. What God's calling us to do, not just a piece of gum understanding that God has gifted each and every single one of us with abilities and relationships and resources to expand his kingdom. Amen. So let's go out these doors with the same excitement that this woman experienced when she met Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I just thank you for this day. God, I thank you for the incredible community that you're building here God, I pray that we would never lose sight of why you have called us here. And I'm not just talking about my family, but everyone who calls Avenue Church home. God, that we would understand, those of us that are followers of Jesus, that we would understand the work that is before us. God, that we would lean in to the commitment of the work that is before us. God, that we would continue until we see revival in our lives, in our families, in our community. God, if there's anyone even here today that they have heard something, they have sensed something within their heart, within their innermost, that they don't have a relationship with you, or maybe they call themselves a Christian, but they don't know you, they're far from you. God, I pray that, that your spirit draws them even now that whatever guilt or shame that brought them to this place, that they will leave it here as they encounter you and they walk out with a confidence and excitement of who you are and what you have spoken to them. That not only is their life changed, God, but the lives of those around them can be changed by the enthusiasm that they feel, that the guilt and shame that brought them here is replaced by a confidence and a grace that only you can bring. And God, that they would just simply say these words, Jesus, I give you my life. In this moment of surrender, it says that all things are covered and all things are made new. God, for us as a church, help us to wake up and just put our hands to work, put our hearts to work so that lives can be changed. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.